the vibrant life. Last week we were talking about Timothy. And in the Bible, you'll notice there's a whole letter that is written. In fact, there's two letters that are written to Timothy. Uh, Most of the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul. Paul would write what we call epistles or letters. And they, over time in the early church, became utilized as scripture. One of the things that is in conjunction with the life of Christ, the Gospels, the, these letters are so beneficial and helpful for us when it comes to the growing life in Christ. And Paul was writing to Timothy. Timothy was a young leader. He was a pastor who was about in his 30s, we think, um, relatively young compared to the people he was working with. But he was someone that Paul really had a high estimation of, someone of really uh, tremendous quality. And in fact, uh, in your handout, you'll notice that in, I, I put in there Philippians uh, 2, 19 through 22, because this really does capture how Paul thought about Timothy. And it will help us as we look through the piece of scripture that is written to Timothy to get a sense of what Paul's talking about. Look what he says. He says, look, he's writing this church in, in, in the Philippian church, and he's saying that if the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy, there he is, to you soon for a visit. And I know that, what, that the purpose in it would be this, that he can cheer me up by telling me how, how you're all getting along because Paul couldn't get there himself. He was confined, but he, he sent Timothy in his place. He says, you know what? He goes, I know you, he goes, I'm not coming, but listen, I have no one else like Timothy. Look at that. I have no one else who genuinely cares about, about your welfare and well-being. Uh, and, he, and he makes this kind of general statement. He says, and all the others, you know, they kind of tend to care only for themselves and not for what matters to Christ. But you know, Timothy has proved himself. He, you know what he's like to me? He's like a son with his father. That's what he is. He's, I'm like a, he's like a spiritual son to me. And he has served with me in preaching this good news. This is, now, by the way, when Paul gives praise, that, that was a big deal. He was not one of those guys that was really prolific, or I might say prodigal with his praise. He had very measured uh, praise. You had to really earn it to get it. He was one of those guys who, you know, was so intense and had such a high level of self-expectation that he tended not to be kind of just superfluous or exaggerated in the way in which he talked about people. And he, and he was not a manipulator either. So he wasn't trying to ever get on someone's good side. He was just a very intense person. Timothy, very different. But Paul says some really nice things about Timothy. And I think it was Paul's way of saying, yeah, I really love this man. And I was thinking about it, I was thinking about how often, to, and, and it must have mattered a lot to know that Paul thought these things about Timothy. Timothy must have deeply appreciated the fact that his mentor um, and his father in the Lord had such a high regard for him and could give him such a sterling recommendation and, and approval. And I was thinking, you know, maybe some of us have had people in our lives who we really respect or have respected. Maybe they're not with us anymore and whose approval meant so much to us, or just even a little bit of a word of approval would have meant so much. And, you know, I I found myself, as I was thinking about Paul and the way in which he was praising Timothy, I found myself thinking back in time to when I was just a teenager, beginning to really sincerely want to follow Christ, and how in my life, um, in my young life, I had come already through some degree of brokenness because I had watched my family explode you know, when my mom and dad, our family blew apart, just heading into those teen years, my brother and I. And I know that's an experience a lot of us have had, so it's not like we're unique in it. But at that time, um, you know, just not really having a father around, 
there was a really beautiful gift that God gave me in my grandfather, who I had really, you know, he was so much older than me. In fact, he, he was the one who founded this church um, in, a, in a room many, many years ago in a living room with a couple of families, and they had a vision and a dream. And all those years, he was just a bivocational, I shouldn't say just, he was a bivocational pastor. That is, he, he worked to help the church pay for its bills. He drove a minibus here in San Francisco. And I caught him right at the tail end of his, it's interesting, it's like a comet. I caught the tail end. As he was heading, in a way, to the end of his life in his 70s, I was moving into my life, and our, and our lives just kind of intersected right at the end of his and really the beginning, in many ways, of mine. And I caught something of his love for God. Um, I remember how much I admired him and uh, deeply appreciated the consistency, um, not perfection, but the consistency of the admirable example that I saw of a man growing old in love with God. And I can tell you this, whether you realize it or not, he prayed for every one of you. Every one of us here in this room were prayed for because he prayed by faith, as many did, for all those who would come to Christ or come to be strengthened in Christ in this place, people he would never see nor touch, but because of what they were doing as a generation, they were believing for God to bless people who they would never meet or see. How cool is that? One of the things I remember about him is that he kind of was Spartan with his praise, though. In fact, I was thinking, I can't really remember ever hearing him say, you know, I, now, I, I know he loved me deeply. I felt it. But I don't remember him ever saying, I, I love you, Terry. He kind of came from a, I love you, son. You know, grand, Mike, I was his grandson. I don't remember ever hearing that. In fact, I don't really hearing much, remember hearing it much. Maybe some of you can relate to that from my, my, my father either. It was kind of like, um, my grandfather, I'll put it this way. He had, uh, when he was older, when I met him, his hands that he used to have that we all kind of take for granted to move around, he had got like this condition in them where the cartilage had kind of grow, uh, gotten, I don't know, it's tightened up. So his hand was never, he wasn't able to extend his fingers. So by, in his 70s, he had a, like a, he would, this is how his hand was kind of. It was kind of crunched a little bit. And I can remember, though, when he was really happy with me, how he, this was, he would come and he would just take that hand and he would tap that head right there. Now, when he wasn't unhappy with me, it was a little harder on the head. Right? So, but I, I remember him, and I remember, and I knew, I started to figure it out. I, knew what he, I started to know what he meant. He, when he did that, it's like, I love you, I'm proud of you. That's, that's what I heard. It was like the code language, right? Some of us know what that, that is. But again, I never really heard those words. And so I kind of, when I remember starting out in my own family, I'm just saying this because I want to make a point, and you'll understand it in a moment, that when my own family, when I was, in, you know, I was just starting into my life, I got, we, my wife and I were married in our 20s. We had our, our children, in, when I was just starting to pastor here at 25, we had our oldest son, Caleb, was born way back in 1988. And uh, I, I remember that season of my life because I really didn't know how to, because I'd never seen it really modeled. Even though I made a full commitment to follow Jesus and was very committed in my, to him, I didn't really know how to express love well, verbally. I could say I loved you to the Lord, but I had a harder time. Sometimes I even had a hard time saying it to my wife I, 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 in a casual way. And I really, one of the things that occurred to me as I started to hear teaching and I was opening up my life to the Lord, that it, I said, you know, Lord, I wanna, I wanna be able to bless my children with loving words freely in ways that I have always been somewhat uncomfortable with because I never really saw it modeled in my own life. And so I 
you know, I, I, as time went on, I began to try to stretch myself in the Lord. And, and, and it finally, it really got to a point where it was an area of growth in my life to where it got to the point where I, you know, I could, I just, it was like second nature to tell my, my sons and my daughters, I love you, son, you know? I love you, hon. I could say it freely, easily, with intention and sometimes just habitually. I mean, I was riding back home with my 24-year-old son from the men's retreat, and, you know, we're just talking and stuff. And when we say goodbye, it's like, I love you, son. You know? I, and that was, and I don't even think about it. You know, but, you know, there were, growing up in our house, there were two things we kind of could say easily. One of them was, I love you. And the other one was actually something I got from my grandfather. He would always say to me when, he saw me when, I, was leaving, when I would leave him, he would say, what's his name? And I'd say, Jesus. He goes, that's right. So all the days of my kids, since they've been growing up from babies, they'll, a lot of times our way of parting is, what's his name? Jesus. All right, that's good. That's good. Remember that. It's become part of our family way. But the other part of it is to be able to tell them with genuine affection, I love you. That is a product of the work of Christ in my life. And what I'm saying is, it might not sound like a big deal to some, but to give a blessing is a beautiful thing, and to receive one is so beautiful as well. Some of us, what I'm trying to say is, when we come to the Lord, he wants to grow us out of ways of being, some things we've never actually seen modeled in our own life, but he wants to teach us through his ways how to live a life that is pleasing and growing and expansive and tender and strong and honest and true, a growing life in God, not a perfect life in God, but a real life in God. And it means that a lot of times we don't have to be bound to our past. Some of us have generational stuff that's passed down to us. And so we say, well, that's the way our family's always done it. That's the way I'm doing it. But maybe God doesn't want that anymore. Maybe God wants a better way. Maybe God has a better plan. Some of us say, well, you know, I've, I've got these habits that I've acquired in my life, and this is kind of how I am. This is how I see myself. But maybe God wants us to see ourselves differently. Maybe God has a, a desire to see us grow beyond what we're comfortable with. And a lot of what Paul was going to tell Timothy was, I want you to be on a growing path. And I want you to challenge yourself in this area of growth, the vibrant life. I'm really, because here's the deal. Now, let me put it this way. Paul was an intense guy. And in fact, in two weeks, I'm going to start the second fall series, which is going to carry us all the way into the holidays, Lord willing. I'm, we're calling it Radical Change. We're going to talk specifically about the radical conversion of Saul of Tarsus and the experience that turned him from being a fierce, violent persecutor. The preeminent persecutor of the early church was Saul of Tarsus, whose life is dramatically turned around by a confrontation with the living Jesus on the road to Damascus, in which he is transformed from the most fierce opponent of the early church to probably, well, I will say it unequivocally, I think, the greatest advocate of an impactful uh, person to ever represent the cause of Christ in this world. It was a stunning, radical change. And in his life, when he was called, as we will see in the weeks ahead, when he was called, he was told two things. One, Saul, who becomes Paul, the Apostle Paul, you are going to um, ultimately, I'm going to take you into places of power and you will you will represent my words in front of kings and powerful people. 
that's one thing that's going to happen that's going to be remarkable and distinct. Gentile authorities are going to hear the gospel through you. But the second thing that's going to happen, and I need to tell you this on the front end, is you are going to suffer many things. This is what your life will be. Get ready, because you're about to suffer. And Paul said he threw himself into it, and he did, with such intensity. He told people, I'm already a dead man, so you can't kill me. I died to me. To live is Christ. To die is gain. You can't touch me. My, hand is, my life is in his hands. That type of authority, that type of passion, it wasn't a death wish. It was just he was unafraid. He was so intense and committed that he stood in stark contrast to Timothy. Timothy what did not have the experience of Paul. He was a far more, uh, okay, he was softer in his demeanor. He had been nurtured and loved by his mom, his grandmother. He had grown up in a family that was looked healthy. Um, he, he had a lot of fine qualities that Paul deeply admired. He had, he had a kind of caring component that Paul, Paul maybe lacked at times, and a, a certain degree of passivity also that was sometimes connected to the fact that he felt that he was young. So part of it was that he felt like he was young and he was dealing with older people and he was, didn't want to push himself. The other part of Timothy's issue was that he had a kind of demeanor that tended to resist being pushed into the spotlight. He felt more comfortable maybe um, letting others be assertive. And Paul was saying to him, uh, you can't do that. I need you to challenge yourself to step forward. Some of us, the Lord would challenge us to pull back. I was talking to one young man at the men's retreat and I said, what we want to work on this year is you calming yourself and beginning to see yourself and how you're coming across. And this is going to be a good thing because God's going to want to grow you. I said, what I'm saying. And I said, but in Timothy's case, Paul's saying, I want you to push forward. Now, that brings us to 1 Timothy 4, 12. And you remember this. And I'm just going to look at this. And what we're going to do is just going to read through a passage and just make some points about the growing life as we move along through it. And hopefully it'll, it'll get us thinking. In 1 Timothy 4, 12, Paul writes, and I quoted this last week, and we focused in on it. We talked about the five spheres of growth. Paul said, let no man despise your youth. Let no one think less of you because you're young. Uh, don't, instead, I want you to contend to be an example to all believers. And then he said five things, right? I want you to be an example in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, in your faith, and in your purity, right? He just, he just kind of put that out there. And he says, these are the five areas that I want you to really focus on. And then he says this. He says, here's some other things I want you to do. And these are keys, clues for all of us who are serious about wanting to move forward with the Lord and let him changing our life, change our life to a, into a growing, vibrant place. And he says this. He says, you know what? Um, until I get there, I want you to focus uh, this is verse 13. I want you to focus on reading the scriptures to the church, encouraging the believers and teaching them. And then also don't neglect the spiritual gift that you received through the prophecy spoken over you. You know, when the elders of the church came and they prayed over you and they laid their hands on you, he says, and they prayed over your life and there was that something that kind of happened and you felt like you, you were given an impartation of a gift and a calling. He says, remember that moment. Use those gifts that God's put into your life. Don't pull back, push forward. So two things I want to suggest that we can learn just from reading those two verses. One of them is this. What is Paul reminding him? Number one, make sure that you pay attention to reading the scriptures. Stay focused on reading the scriptures. It's one of the reasons why we're trying to, to create support systems for people to grow in their understanding and appreciation of the Bible. Jesus said, my words, they are spirit and they are life. How shall a young man, 
cleanses way by taking heed, or a woman, we would say, by taking heed, learning how to appropriate your words. Your words are to me as sweet as the honeycomb. Your word is to me like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces. Your word is to me like a light unto my path and a lamp unto my feet. Your words, I have taken them, I did eat them. Jesus said again, my words are spirit and they are life. Jesus said, if you are a wise person who wants to build his life or her life well, you will build it on the foundation of my words. He says, well, how shall I liken this? I shall liken the kingdom like to this. It's like a person who's building their house. When they build their house, he says, if you build the house on the sand, what happens is when the storms come and, and the flood waters rise and the winds blow, the house that is built on the sand, it will surely fall, I tell you this. But Jesus said, a house that is built upon a sure foundation of the rock, when the storms come and the waters rise and the adversity strikes, that house will stand. And the reason it will stand is because it's built on the rock. And then Jesus said this, I liken the one who hears these sayings of mine, hears these sayings of mine, my words, and does them, implements them into their life as a one who builds their life on the rock. If we are serious about building our life well, we will build it with his words. To get his words, we have to spend time reading them. I told someone, just read a chap- try to read a chapter a day. Use this time when we do the Bible intensive as a way to just stimulate a desire to grow in your understanding of God's word. Be able to articulate with a degree of growing confidence what the Bible actually teaches. Read it. Think about it. Pray over it. Let it fill your life. But Paul also says to Timothy, not only do I want you to focus on reading the scriptures, I want you to pay attention to your spiritual gifts. And one of the things the Bible is clear about is that all of us have been given, if we've As we follow Christ, we've been given these gifts, these capacities, these ways, these uniquenesses of who we are in him and maybe just as a personality that allow us to serve God in unique ways that are are just really a blessing to other people. And I put this passage in Romans 12, which is a great passage, in there just to kind of give us an idea. This is not a comprehensive list of gifts, but it is an example of what we're talking about. Look at it with me real quick. He says, in his grace, God has given... He's given us different gifts for doing certain things really well. So if God has given you the ability to prophecy or speak forth truth, you know, in his name, then, you know, don't hold back. Speak out as much as you, as, with as much faith as God has given you when you have an opportunity to do so. And then he says this, if God, for example, has given you the ability to serve, that you really just love serving others, and it just so blesses you to do it. He says this, then I want you to serve them well. Go for it. If you are a teacher and you have been given the ability or the capacity to help people understand things, which is at the essence of teaching, is to help people appreciate nuance and to get an understanding of something, then he says, I want you to teach as well as you can. And if your gift is encouraging, then throw your heart into looking for opportunities to encourage people. If your gift is giving, don't hold back. Throw your heart into it and give as generously as you can. He then goes on to say, if your gift is, is, if God's giving you a gift of leadership and that, that you have an ability to influence a situation, don't be afraid. Don't be reluctant to step forward and accept responsibility. That always is. That's one of the price tags for being willing to set a pace is that you know you're being held to a different standard. And a lot of us pull back because we're afraid of the pressure. But if God's people, I use that term in a broad sense, if people who claim to know him and love him are always afraid of stepping out to be an example or to bear weight, 
then a lot of others who, who need to be blessed won't be because we're not using the gifts that God's put into our life to be a healthy influence and an example and a pattern. And Paul was telling to Timothy, look, you need to step forward in your leadership. Don't, don't hold back. Don't be a person who lives in fear. Don't use your passive passivity as an excuse for being less than what I, God wants you to be. You need to push past your comfort zone, Timothy. So we're being told here that there are different ways in which we can honor God. Some of us are really good at certain things for the Lord. Throw your, throw your, we need to throw our heart into them. In fact, look what he says next. He says, keep, he says in verse, um, what is it, uh, 15, he says, give your complete attention to these matters. Look at it. Throw yourself into these tasks so that everyone will see your progress. So, so the third thing is, you know, if we're going to do this, we just throw, we got to throw our heart into it. We got to remember the value of concentrated effort. You know, nothing is achieved uh, rarely of excellence in life that is not a result of serious attention and focus. One of the things that I'm convinced God wants to teach all of us to grow in is our capacity to, to focus our energy on a growth path. That, that there are, you get, okay, we get it. When we're on a project, we've got to write a paper, we've got to do a task, um, something has been given to us responsibly to take care of, or we're getting ready to run a race. I talked about that. We're preparing, we're training, we've got an event, something we want to do. We understand that there is really no substitute for focus and concentration and carving out time to really prepare for something. In the same way at a spiritual level, there will not come progress in our lives if we do not take it seriously and apply ourselves. The Bible says, study, study as if you want to be a skilled craftsman or a craftswoman in the word of God. That, that if we're going to do this, seek to do it to the best of your ability. Throw yourself into it. Really go for it. Make it be a, a time of concentration. But you know, look what else he said there. And I think this is really cool. At the end of verse 15, he doesn't just say, um, you know, get, just throw your heart into it and complete attention to these matters. But he takes it a step further. And he says, you know what I want you to do is I want you to, to do this so that everyone, look at this. And it kind of really caught me when I first read it. And it really did get me. Because it's, it's something about it. He said, throw yourself in a task so that everyone will see your progress. Do you know what? Look, think about that for a moment. Fourthly. We need to contend for evident progress. Commit to evident progress. What are we saying? We want to pursue a path of growth that others can see the effects and results of. That is interesting because it almost sounds like he's contradicting Jesus. Remember what Jesus said when they were talking in Jesus' day? Jesus said, you see those guys, they're praying so that everybody can see them. And when they give, they're giving so that everybody can see them. He's saying, you know, they're doing, Jesus said, you know what? They're doing it just to be seen by the people. And he says, and he told them, he goes, I hope you understand. You have your reward. But God is not impressed. You, you did it for the show. That's your reward. But that's, and you're going, well, isn't that, what, isn't that kind of contradict what Paul's saying when he's saying, I want you to be a person who commits to living in a way that other people can see the growth in your life? No, it's not. Because Jesus was saying on the one hand, he's saying, don't be a person who's just trying to make it about you. Don't be self-righteous. Make sure your motives are pure. Walk humbly. Don't try to be seen by people. Impress people. That's not your, but Paul is saying, I want you to live your life in such a way that it gives other people inspiration and encouragement of what God can do. I, I love this phrase, that even when in, our, in the mess-ups of our lives, and we have them, that God wants to take our mess and make it a message. He wants to take our messes and make the messages. 
message of what he can do, his grace. And it's important if we're growing that other people can see over time. It's like when I see someone, maybe I haven't seen it, uh, 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 when I saw someone, I haven't seen them for a few years, maybe I saw a picture or something, but a lot of times this happens with children, and I'll see them, and all of a sudden they're, they're sprouted up in a, in a teenager, maybe even a young adult, and I go, wow, you've really grown. It's amazing. I wow. Or a little guy is on the ground. When I saw him as a baby, next thing you know, he's running all around, right? He really grew. He grew a lot. So should it be with us in our lives that as the years go by, there comes a kind of growth into us, a maturity. Remember the change I talked about? Just allowing God to break things out of us that we've always known and to do new things in our lives, that our ways of being with people start to change, the way in which we see ourselves. We start to grow. It's not always like a straight shot. Here's how I look at it. Sometimes it's like this. We might even have a down cycle. But in the course of time, it's, it's, it's upward. Over time, because we're staying with the Lord, we start to have a growth path. It, it, sometimes we struggle and we, we have a down season. But over time, we are growing. We're challenging ourselves. We're trying to, to be what he's calling us to be. And there's an overall growth path in our life. And, and it's, things are happening, real stuff. And a lot of people say, well, you know, I, I'm older now. I, 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 I am who I am. Look, in the Lord, there is no, there is no, I am what I am, and that's that. This is how we were. This is how my family was. No. We, in Christ Jesus, we are called to a life of growth and expansion in him, that we would bear much fruit in every age, every season of our life. We have something to offer and grow into. This is a great adventure of growth. God is going to chisel away. There is a new man and a new woman in every one of us waiting to break out, just like Michelangelo's sculptor, you know, as he was sculpting things, he was saying, I'm letting the man out. And sometimes you'll see one that was half done, and it was like a half person out of the, the, the he was chiseling away, but only half of it was done. You can see, he's like, I'm letting him out. That was how he saw. It's like God has, has a new person to let out in us. It's a new version of who we are, updated and better, like a phone. <laughs> And, and as a result, God, all of a sudden, just things are all, that's a great, this is a, look, think about it. Think about it. It's like, why do people you know, shell out more money for an updated version? Well, you know, it just is this a little better. Does that a little better? It's a little faster. Maybe it's a little bigger screen, but, <laughs> but it lasts longer or gives you more view. But isn't the only, yeah, it's good, but this is better. In the same way, the Lord wants to keep updating us into a better version. That we increasingly, not perfectly, but we increasingly look more like him in the way in which we live our lives, in the way in which we love people, that we are growing in our character. And quickly now, because I'll point this out, but the evident progress is for everyone. And then Paul concludes by saying, I want you then to keep, look at the last verse we'll look at here. I want you to keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. I want you to stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation. And look, Timothy, it's not just for you, for salvation of everyone who's going to hear you. Don't forget that. And then he, it's almost like, and this is the fifth piece here for me, is that the Lord at times is going to call us to periodically look at our life and evaluate it. So listen, you guys, stay with me on this because it's important. We need to continually evaluate our life. We need to keep our eyes on how we are living because people are listening to our lives and looking at our lives. 
And so we want, we want to be, we want to kind of be able to exercise some degree of ruthless honesty. And, and so I just really quickly, I'm going to try to just list, and I'm going to do it fairly rapidly, okay? Of what a person who's committed to that looks like, and this is just for extra thought, all right, what the advancing life looks like in the, in the last few minutes that we have here. I'm going to suggest that the advancing person takes time to assess and reposition so that we're looking at our lives and we're assessing our priorities and we're asking ourselves hard questions like, am, is the way I'm living matching what I say I believe? Is the way I'm actually building my life matching what I say I believe is most important? Because I believe what Jesus taught. So if I believe what Jesus taught, how is my life doing matching that? And does that then mean that, you know what? If I really believe this, I would switch this out a bit. Or, and this leads to the second piece that I would put up there, the advancing person re- re- tends to reconfigure boundaries and make, makes adjustments. And, and I'm thinking of a wall. Uh, because we get walls, and I, I share this as well. We build walls around us, but walls are walls are not just bad things; they can be good things. And a wall, think of a safety wall. It's, think of a, something like of stones that has been built, and it's kind of there to protect a field. But over time, as time goes by, it could the certain part of the wall that was meant to help cre- create safety and a boundary, a healthy boundary to keep things out that are not great. It's to say that a stone falls over here and then another one falls over here. And before long, what was once a very healthy barrier is now got a breach in it. And, there's a, and it's kind of become you know, broken down. It's not doing what it was meant to do originally. And so at those times, it's sort of like our life. And, and now things are coming into our life that are really undermining what we say we believe. And so we're feeling increasingly defeated. But it's because our boundary needs to be readjusted or rebuilt. Because all of us, listen, all of us have weak areas in the Lord. The further you go along, the more we begin to realize, and a lot of it's connected to stuff in our past. Not always, because sometimes God does amazing things, and it's like a miracle, it's gone. But most of the time, the things that we've struggled with, they'll, always, they'll be there. And when, our, when we get sloppy, what happens is we become vulnerable to falling back into unhealthy patterns. It could be ways in which, there's so many ways that can show up. God wants to have us periodically readjust our boundary lines, reposition ourselves. And one of the ways that happens, and it's, it's what I'll just say as a third piece here, is that the advancing person tends to bring other trusted vo- voices into their lives for feedback. So listen, it's important that we have other people who can freely speak with us. And I'll just say this, that we talk about the value of a large gathering. Jesus talked about, taught the value of a small group, which is why we always talk about find your way into some type of service group, um, find your way into a small group. If you're serious about growing with a God, don't do it on your own. Train with others. Take seriously the admonition and the pattern of Jesus. And then in Jesus' group of 12, he actually had a group of three that he was even more close with. And the point is this, that we need to have large, large assembly, which is what we're doing like now, but we also have to have a small group where we can share life with someone and learn together and train together and encourage and pray for one another. But then we also, if, it's, if it really, if you want to get down to the truth, we need to, we need to also have a intimate friendships of people that we trust who we can share very vulnerably with. That's the word I use, intimacy, intimacy. We, we can be honest with our failings, our struggles, we can pray for one another to be strengthened. We can be real with things that are happening in our lives at a very honest, raw level that allows for us to have genuine interaction and meaningful conversations and allows people to be able to tell us the truth. 
Because anybody, <laughs> anybody can fill their lives with people who just tell them what they want to hear. So we can do that. We can just say, you know, I don't like you because you don't tell me what I want to hear. So I'm, I'm going to be your friend. We don't say that. But we just, I don't like him. It's like, ah, you know. But here's the deal. We just surround ourselves with people who only tell us what we want to hear. The Bible says this. The deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. But faithful are the wounds of a friend. To have people in our life who love us enough to tell us the truth when they're seeing something is such a blessing. That is a result of relational investment. And if we're serious about the growing life in God, we're going to take time to do it. The last thing I'll say, and it's connected to this, is that the advancing person pays attention to their character. And we'll close with this quote that I put in the handout from Gordon MacDonald. You know what I think of him, one of my favorite authors. In his book, The Resilient Life, he said this. Just stay with me. We'll pray in a moment. Character is a word that describes the default me. What is the default you? What is the default me? The person I am over a long haul in life, what is that? Who am I? Who am I becoming? Who will people say that I was? Who knew me best? The person who emerges in the most difficult, challenging moments, character identifies the attitudes, the convictions, and the resulting behaviors that distinguish my life. Now let's put it another way. Character, this is great. If we get this, we get something really good. Character is what people can expect of me most of the time. Not all the time, because even the best of us every now and then will do something. We'll look in the mirror and say, Dad, what was I thinking? Or Lord, I'm sorry. Or to someone else, please forgive me. Or to God, Lord, forgive me. But we should be able to say, someone, if someone were to see us, and, or if we were looking in the mirror, we should be able to say, that was out of character for that person, because this is the person I know. Hopefully that there's been enough of a pattern in our lives that people can say, yeah, that's true. That was out of character, but this is the person who has been forged day in and day out, who I've come to know over time. And so we all at times will fall short. That's where God's grace comes in. But as a whole, this is who we are, a growing man and a growing woman in God who seeks to honor him with a well-lived life who is open to growth and change, who stays in an attentive place and is thinking about the effect that we have on other people because Paul tells Timothy, listen, Timothy, pay attention to yourself and what God wants to do in your life because not only is it going to be a tremendous blessing to you personally, but do you understand a whole lot of other people are going to be blessed because of your willingness to pursue the growth path that God has given you? Will you do it? That's a great question. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we are before you, as open and honest as we can be, we, we want to be a people who allow you, Master Potter, to work your purposes in us. And, and a lot of times, Lord, I know you're calling, you want to call forth things in us that have, maybe, maybe we never even saw it modeled in our lives ever, but you're, you're starting a new thing in us, um, a generational distinctive that's going to mark our lives as a testimony to the grace and the goodness of God. But it's a product of, of being open. It's a product of, of being willing to even struggle to receive your grace. But over time, 
you forge these beautiful things in and through our lives. And so help us to be courageous in our pursuit of becoming the man or the woman you want us to be. Help us to fulfill what you told us to do, to let your light so shine before people, before men, they may see your good works, the goodness of your life, which is what we tend to be in you, and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Be drawn to the, to the Lord that we seek to represent. So Lord, in our sins and in our weakness, in our struggle, in our pride, if you'll have us, we'll come. And we ask that we would live a life that brings you glory and honor and goodness and blessing. And we ask this by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray this, Lord. Bless our closing song, which is our benediction, our final word, of a good word, and bless our time of giving in which many of us seek to faithfully honor you in our tithes and our offerings. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.